welcome back to Next Scene's Big Adventure, the podcast covering Pee-wee's Big Adventure about 10 minutes at a time. Uh, once again, I'm your host, Sean. Uh, today, we're going to be covering uh, part five of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, going from about minute 40, like 40 minutes, 10 seconds to minute 50. This section, we cover uh, PW getting left in the dark and getting uh, picked up by a mysterious truck driver. Uh, we get him uh, at a diner where he meets a, a friendly uh, waitress. And then finally, a, um, a little bit of romance, a romantic scene with uh, P.W. and Simone and some dinosaurs. And joining me today, helping me cover uh, this segment of the film, very special guest from uh, Rocky Minute and the Last Action Heroes Network. It's Doug Greenberg. Doug, welcome. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, I appreciate the invite to this wonderful podcast on this wonderful movie. Yeah, well, thank you for for uh, you know agreeing to join us. We certainly uh, we certainly think it's wonderful here. That's why we're uh, why we're covering it. So let's let's dive right in. So we start um, we start with a nice little callback. Um, it's Pee Wee in the dark. We just see well an, uh, an animated segment where we just get some eyes and then. Um, it lights up, Pee-wee lights up, he's got the um, the headlight glasses uh, with a callback to uh, Mario's magic shop. And when he lights up the night, he's <laughs> just surrounded with all kinds of wildlife. What did you think of this little scene here? Uh, th- this was this was one of those things that I really loved as a kid. Like the, uh, you know, the, the amalgamation of like, of, uh, you know, real life stuff and animation. Like I thought, you know, the cartoon eyes in the dark, that's like a, mm-hmm. a cartoon trope from the Bugs Bunny days. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and then when he lights up, I, I actually like slowed it down and paused to see like which animals are real. And like, a lot, obviously, you know, there's not real <laughs> mountain lions and tigers and stuff, but, you know, there's like a real raccoon. And and I think um, on the left, the the puma is real. Or I don't know what that is, a puma or something, but it looks like all the rest of the animals are like taxidermied. Yeah, there's yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, it's just a great scene, hilarious. The bear, there's <laughs> there's a bear, there's a yeah, there's well, there's a couple bears. There's like one bear standing up, and there's yeah. a couple oh, yeah, growling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's definitely yeah, there's the raccoon. There's yeah, a puma or a mountain lion moving, and I think the vulture on the right seems to be mm-hmm. moving around as well. Oh yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> um, in addition, so there's like bears. There's looks like another large cat. I don't know if it's a coyote. There's, yeah, two in the foreground. There's one. Yeah, that's definitely a wolf yeah. or a coyote, and then something right to the left of that. But they're just like paused, and you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, then I think there's. It looks like a hyena, and then mm-hmm. like the bottom right. I've got it paused like 50 seconds into this segment. Mm-hmm. It almost looks like a camel. Like it just you just see the head. It's facing yeah, away head. from us. It might be a lion. It might be like a female lion. Yeah, like a female lion. But it like it almost could be a camel, like just the head. It's hard yeah. to tell from that angle, but uh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, it's like very like yeah, very cartoonish, right? Um, that they just kind of throw. <laughs> um, and, I, and I'm sure like half these animals are not native to. The yeah, yeah. they just kind of like you're right, California. Yeah, he, whatever he definitely the got, head he, laying around. He got his his money's worth on those. Uh, flashlight glasses because yeah. man it really lights up the uh <laughs> the whole scene yeah yeah 
Um, Fantastic. Yeah, this, is, this is funny. It's, it's, you know, it, but it's things like this, like throughout the movie that, that are so genius because it's, what is this part? Like a, a small, it's a two second like mm-hmm. shot of this and, and then, yeah. and then onto the next thing, you know, it's, it's just, you get in, you get out, you get the laugh and then you move on to the next thing. It's Tim Burton really nailed it with pretty much every scene in this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of funny. One of the things, so one of the things uh, Tim Burton says in the commentary for the section is he, he wishes there was more of a reveal when the light comes on. And I'm yeah. like, what, what does he mean more? <laughs> I know. What do you, what do you want more of? Yeah, unless he just meant that, you know, last longer so that the audience can kind of soak mm-hmm. it all in. Because you're right, it, it's literally like two seconds. It's less than three seconds. Yeah. Um, well, if you if you stare too hard, that's where you see the seams, like the animals that aren't moving, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's perfect. I mean, it's, you know, you, you kind of insert yourself in the situation, too. You're in the middle of nowhere in the dark. Mm-hmm. Your biggest fear in the dark is to flip on the lights and be surrounded by something terrifying. Right. right? right. <laughs> and, and Pee-wee's living that. <laughs> right that's always yeah that's the, the scariest part of the dark is what are you going to see if you know even when the lights come on yeah, right. um, yeah and it's pretty much for him it's the most it's the scariest possible scenario all these wild yeah. animals <laughs> bears um, and of course like you know then very childlike peewee turns the light off as if well if i can't see them then they can't <laughs> see me and and then i'll be safe if i just yeah right that's right as long as the light's out i'm okay i'm like okay but there's no like you know there's no great escape from the danger it's just Mm -hmm. you move on to the next scene you turn the lights out and then boom we're in the next scene the headlights yeah yeah that's that's one of the things that really jumped out at me um the the, when i rewatched the 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 movie recently for the first time after many years is that with you've got things like the callbacks you know that the, the glasses to the the magic shop and so on but then so much of this is just non sequitur. There's no callback. There's no place with it. Just they mm-hmm. decided to go for it with this scene and then, you know, move on. Like, you know, this this little bit with the wild animals and everything like doesn't there's nothing that really leads up to this. It doesn't go anywhere. It's just we're going to have fun. Yeah, for this. Yeah. Um, and actually, this whole thing kind of going back to, um, uh, you know, we, we both have a history in, in movies by minutes where we cover movies one minute at a time. And it's almost exactly one minute from the time the lights go out and Pee-wee's in the dark to he flashes the glasses mm-hmm. for those two, three seconds, and then turns them off. Like that's like that little bit, that one scene could almost be like a short film, like a, yeah, a self-contained a little, minute. A little vignette. Yeah. And, and it's like, I, I don't think this isn't done enough these days. You know what I mean? Like where, especially in comedy movies, you have the room to do like these little vignettes that really are non sequiturs it, it reminds me of like i don't know a- airplane like a movie i loved when i was growing up you know yeah. little just little uh little vignettes that really don't belong in the in the in the grand story yeah but it's just you know it's just something to to chuckle at and then you move on like i, I there's i miss those yeah yeah I, I, and i can see and it's something that if it doesn't work it's horrible and then you walk out of yeah, the movie yeah. and you're just like you know what it you know this didn't have anything to do with that it's a bunch of stuff that doesn't connect like it it it, it is a big swing and certainly it can fail and i don't know i think mm-hmm. it's a combination of maybe maybe filmmakers are worried about if it doesn't work how bad it'll come out and then mm-hmm. maybe they're trying to tell too much of a story they're like we can't waste a scene we can't waste a minute oh, on yeah, yeah. something that doesn't tie into everything else because i've got so much i want to tell 
Right. Um, whereas like, yeah, so the, you know, the, the writers and, and the director here and everyone kind of just kind of just building atmosphere allows it to breathe and says, hey, this this minute's fun. It doesn't have to yeah. go anywhere. It just we can have fun. I guess it is a fine line to walk, a slippery yeah. slope. If you fall down one side of it, you're kind of screwed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I but I think it all it all works here. For all sure. the little things like this that you know they don't go anywhere, but they're fun anywhere. Um, yeah, and, and and Tim Burton talks about it. he mentions it a couple times in the commentary, and I think in interviews he said like it just feels like every day was like a different movie, a different genre. Whether it's like you know, whether it's like a road picture or we've got a little bit of horror here, mm-hmm. sort of horror suspense. And then we've got like a romance scene later on or not romance, but, you know, uh, Pee Wee and Simone have a like a heart to heart quiet yeah. moment, like all different genres and also like all different scenes and location. Like we don't go mm-hmm. back to. So we've got this scene kind of out in the wilderness that we're never going to go back to. And then we've got a scene um, but we, you know, we don't go back to the truck with large Marge, and then yeah. we've got that scene at the diner with the dinosaurs, and then we never go back there. Like every day is a um, kind of every day was a, a different location, almost a different movie. It's a it's a true adventure road trip film. Yeah, yeah. where everything just it, it progresses, it moves on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so speaking of moving on, so let's move on to uh, the darkness is pierced by uh, two lights turned out to be a, an oncoming truck, oncoming headlights. And uh, also yeah, a little he, parallel. The headlights are a little parallel to his headlight glasses that we just saw him in. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So a nice little there's some some connecting threads that kind of go through Yeah, a nice little bit of, of filmmaking kind of fade mm-hmm. out from the yeah, the eyes into the, the headlights. Um so uh, yeah, PW gets gets a ride and uh, gets picked up by this strange woman uh, who tells a tale of an accident that happened on uh, with this very night ten years ago. Um, Indeed. Yeah, yeah. This is nice. Um, Tim Burton says that he he told the makeup department or the hair department to make uh, they wanted large March hair to look like Don King. Uh-huh. <laughs> which i think they succeeded her hair is like standing straight up i don't know if folks today remember uh what don oh, king yeah. looked like but uh... I, mean, I certainly do <laughs> the uh the effect that was was created by the chioto brothers did mm-hmm. you do any um uh, uh investigating on them any research on them yeah just a little bit so yeah the the the, the folks that did the um did the animation um, for, for this film. They've worked on a couple other things for Tim Burton, but uh, I'll, I'll let you, since you brought it up, uh, did you find anything? Did you do any research? Uh, you know, I, I I know that they did a lot in, in um, you know, uh, like animated special effects mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the world of film. I should have wrote down more, yeah. um, more other projects that they worked on, but what, for this one specifically, the puppet took two weeks of fabrication to make, and it took a whole one day, of shooting for a second and a half of screen time. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. In, in the script, it just says, um, so large Marge finished her stuff. She says, you know, when uh, they finally pulled the driver's body from the twisted burning wreck, it looked like this. She mm-hmm. turns towards Pee Wee, her face in, in parentheses, special effect transforms into a contorted monstrosity, then back to normal. Um, so that's all it says in the script is a uh, contorted monstrosity. But what we, uh, we get we get a lot more than this. Um, <laughs> yeah, the the thing that drew me in is um, so reading. Yeah, reading about um, the Chioto brothers that 
that did the animation in this film. They also did the like the first thing that comes up like the best known for in uh, IMDb is um, Killer Clowns from Outer oh, Space. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's right. That was their big one. Yeah, certainly. So yeah, if if you've seen it, you you would know. And if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's um, it's it's crazy. Uh, imagine, yeah, if, if the guys who did you know these two seconds or second and a half if did a whole film. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the questions I've had throughout the years is how would a car wreck cause a face to look like this? <laughs> that's, that's a good question. That's, you got to wonder what kind of, what kind of wreck. Yeah. Um, Big bulging eyes. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Um, I mean, it really kind of, and this is kind of foreshadowing. This is something out of, um, this would like fit right in and Beetlejuice. We see effects like this. Yes. Um, yes. In Beetlejuice, another another Tim Burton film. Um, yeah, this is crazy. And also wonder <clears throat> when she describes the um there was a sound like a garbage truck dropped off the Empire State Building. <laughs> like that's that's a certain turn of phrase. And I kind of wonder, like, what would like it's one of those things like what would that sound like? And how do you know? How does she know what a garbage <laughs> truck dropped off the Empire State Building would sound like? Probably similar to a, a garbage truck dropped off a much smaller building. I mean, I'm yeah. sure the terminal velocity of a garbage truck isn't, right. you know, it doesn't take that long to get there. But yeah, no, it, it's this, uh, when I was, obviously, this this was traumatizing mm-hmm. for me as a child. And I, I remember the first time I saw this very, very vividly because um, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you my history of the whole Pee Wee thing, I guess, later on, right? And how I well, got introduced know, to Pee- since you brought up, yeah, let's let's get into it now. So, what is your history? Yeah, history with the you know kind of the Pee Wee Herman character, and then uh, yeah. yeah, this film. When did you first see it? It's you know the older I get, the the more of my childhood memories start to like get hazy and and fade away. But my history with Pee Wee is still so vivid in my mind because I remember where I was, where I was sitting in the house when I saw it. That's how much of an effect PW had on me as a child. Wow. <laughs> but um i saw um the uh the peewee herman show on hbo the the stage show that he did yeah it was it was filmed in la at a, a theater mm-hmm. in, in los angeles and i remember um, my father videotaped it on off of hbo that night and then right after that stage show do you remember that stage show yeah yeah that the, the peewee herman show yeah i remember yeah. that well i i i've i've watched it a lot throughout the years i i i you know, it's still some of the some of the, the the phrases used in that stage show. I still, you know, enter my my vernacular today. Mm-hmm. But right after that premiered on HBO, they premiered Pee Wee's Big Adventure. So again, my dad just taped taped uh, the whole movie, and I remember my dad sitting on the couch. I was sitting on the floor in front of the couch when this scene came on, <laughs> and when Large Marge transformed into the monster, I I shit my pants right then and there <laughs> and my father was howling in laughter he thought it was the funniest thing he's ever seen and i was in 1985 was this 85 i was seven years old yeah. for a seven year old year old kid this this scared the crap out of me and my dad's laughing, and i couldn't figure out why the hell he was laughing at such a scary thing but i <laughs> but I, I remember telling myself like if my dad's laughing then it must not be like you know it must not be meant to terrify you yeah. So, but I, I kind of like um, fooled myself into thinking that it was funny, not scary. <laughs> <laughs> but in the back of my mind, man, I I was terrified by it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It is scary, and I think that spooked me a bit. 
um, when I saw it too for the first time because it kind of comes out of nowhere. There's like there's the mini scare of the animals that we talked about that scene where the lights come on and he's surrounded by you know all the the wild animals and you're like mm-hmm. okay kind of lulls you into thinking all right the, you know the scary bit's over um, yeah and then yeah. this kind of comes out of comes out of nowhere yeah so the stage show was was really good mm-hmm. um yeah the thing that one of the things that surprised me is how well formed the peewee character is um in that you know that that hbo special now they had been they've been doing that on stage for a while so mm-hmm. it's not like they had just come up with it um you know for for hbo they've been doing the stage show for a while before it got the attention yeah to, well, to he... get peewee to film it but then like throughout the movies like i feel like whenever they deviate from the character is at that point um that's when it kind of misses like the peewee's big top is not my favorite mm-hmm. but when he sticks to like that the, the the character as established on the hbo special like that that's all the good stuff. That stuff always hits. Yeah, like the uh, the man child. Um, yeah, no, his, his, uh, I forgot the um, the comedy troupe that he was with. Um, yeah, it was the Groundlings. Days. Groundlings. Him and Phil Hartman um, kind mm-hmm. of worked it out, and and Paul Rubens created this character for Saturday Night Live. Uh, believe it or not, and yeah. you know he didn't get the job there, but um, he developed it into that stage show, and then obviously like into the movies, but. Yeah, it was it was something that I, I as a kid connected with. Yeah, you know, yeah. and this this actually this um the, the the scare that you get in this large march scene kind of set me up for like the next few scenes. I was expecting more of that, <laughs> and and I kind of and um I I read an interesting quote about this mm-hmm. about like the scare and how how it was it's not meant to like um. It's meant as just like, again, a little vignette and then you move on. You don't dwell on on the horror of it. Um, If I can read the quote right here, uh, if you'll indulge me, Mm -hmm, it it says the the specifics of the story matter less than the moment itself, which Burton crafts to slip under the audience's defense. There's an obviously I'm sorry. There's an obvious suspenseful buildup augmented by Danny Elfman's score, which, yes, Danny Elfman's score definitely enhances the fright. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, which gives the story a faux serious tone but because of the film's light-hearted plot and family-friendly atmosphere viewers naturally expect it all to be the service of a joke there had been no animation in the film previously and peewee's big adventures low budget meant that almost all of the humor came from performance rather than effects in short they caught everyone unaware by lulling them into a false sense of security with no expectations of what was to come Viewers were left open and emotionally unprepared. It worked, and they were smart enough not to repeat the trick, leaving it as a piece of good fun rather than a breach of the audience's trust. This helped cement its reputation. Now, I, I think the part where it says um, leaving it as a piece of good fun rather than a breach of the audience's trust, I think that is huge because if you you kind of like you really alter the feel and the tone of the movie if you keep trying to like drop these little special effects and these little jump scares you know into the movie here and there it's just like i said you get in you get out and it's memorable as hell because you know here we are what 35 40 years (laughs) later talking about it almost 40 years later yeah um yeah like it can like if you go back to like the same well or kind of tell the same joke over and over again or kind of try the same thing it can get, you know, kind of gets old or you know, wear on the audience, but just kind of do it one time and move on um, this way. Uh, it works so well. And I'm a little disappointed. So in addition, so there's the commentary track with Tim Burton 
and uh, and Paul Rubens. And then there's a, a different uh, Danny Elfman has his own separate commentary track. Um, and I was disappointed he doesn't say anything about the music um, mm. for this bit, the kind of large Marge's theme or, you know, her her music. Yeah. Which is like really weird, futuristic. It kind of made me think of Apocalypse Now. If you remember the score to Apocalypse Now, well, that's, you know, that's maybe you know, like seven, eight years before this. Like it's the 70s, but it's yeah. a lot of synthesized, it's mm-hmm. synthesizers. It's a lot of electronic kind of modern, kind of modern quote unquote for the 70s music. Right. And this right. scene kind of has that kind of feel. Um, and I was a little disappointed, uh, you know, Danny Elfman didn't say anything. I couldn't find any, uh, you know, any, any interviews where I talked specifically about about the music for this bit, um, yeah, which I think and, it kind of just adds to the, you know, the um, the atmosphere uh, and, his, and the feeling. His, uh, of the scene. Yeah. This, uh, there, there's a podcast called The Soundtrack Show um, mm-hmm. by a guy named David W. Collins, and he did a, he did an episode on Danny Elfman's score for this. Oh, and okay. Yeah. The background to I, I first of all, that's a great podcast to begin with. Like he he dives deep into soundtracks. Very smart, very musical guy. He does like Star Wars, Indiana Jones, he does all the big ones, but then he'll do something like Pee-Wee's Big Adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he gets deep into Danny Elfman and his background with uh um Oingo Boingo, Oingo Boingo. and and how, how he was uh how Tim Burton drafted him to do this um as his first um movie score ever. Yeah, is interesting because it's memorable as hell. Yeah, um, <clears throat> right out the gate. And this, uh, the the whole large Marge sequence. I don't know if you also read was based on a, uh, a an old country song named Phantom Three Hundred Nine. Did you read that? Oh yeah, no, I had not read that. Um, it's a it's a terrible song. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those uh, um, where you know it's it's country music, but the guy is like speaking over it, like. Uh, in a kind of a poetry um you know over yeah the music. okay yeah but the uh it's it's about a guy that gets picked up um you know by a truck when he's stranded and uh you know he talks he talks to the guy the guy drops him off and it turns out that you know he was the ghost but again if you'll indulge me can i read uh some of the bars over here some of the lyrics okay well before before you do that i just could you say the name of that mm. podcast again the this the soundtrack the show the soundtrack show. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I want to, I, I want to check that out. And I imagine the folks that listen to this kind of podcast would be interested in that. So I uh, want to make wanna, sure we get that name yeah. again. After I'll, I'll, um, I'll send you the, uh, I'll send you the, the link to the oh, okay. podcast. All right. So yeah, please. So yeah, if you have uh please continue. So sorry. Yeah. To interrupt. So Phantom 309, I, I won't read the whole thing, but just a couple of, of bars here that, that kind of pertain to what we're dealing with. Uh, so this is at the end of the ride. Well, he tossed me a dime as he pulled her in low and said, have yourself a cup on old big Joe. When Joe and his rig roared out into the night and nothing flat, he was clean out of sight. When I went inside and ordered me a cup, I told the waiter, big Joe was setting me up. Oh, you could have heard a pin drop. I, it got deathly quiet and the waiter's face turned kind of white. Well, did I say something wrong? I said with a halfway grin. He said, no, this happens every now and then. Every driver in here knows Big Joe, but son, let me tell you what happened about 10 years ago. And, you know, he gets into the whole uh, the accident and everything. But what, as it turns out, Joe was driving. Big Joe was driving and um, he, he he skidded out of control when he swerved to miss a bus full of children. And, uh, you know, he killed himself to save the kids. Old Big OK, Joe. well, that's nice. Yeah. So it's kind of a hero in that respect. Yeah, yeah. yeah Sacrificed yeah. himself. 
Yeah, so that's that's interesting. So let me just uh, so a quick. I'll give us a little bit mm-hmm. on the actress who is playing Large Marge. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is Alice Nunn, and she had done a bunch of stuff, um, kind of late, in, really active in the late seventies and, and early eighties. Looking at her IMDb, um, a lot of a uh, lot of TV series work, a lot of coming in for a couple episodes here and there. She was on a couple episodes of Happy Days. Uh, did some WKRP in Cincinnati. Um, folks at the time might have recognized her. She was Helga. I think that she's like the maid in Mommy Dearest. Um, oh, okay. Uh, kind of the the, the maid to, to Joan Crawford in that. Um, but yeah, had such a, a bunch of little things. And uh, in the commentary, Paul Rubens tells a story. He says um, uh, they're they're filming this, and he tells her. Um, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be known for this. Like, this is the thing that you, that people are going to remember you for. And then he ran into, uh, ran into Alice again, years later. And she said, you're right. You were right. Like, this is the thing. Um, not, not the worst thing to be known for. I mean, I'm sure, you know, out of a, you know, in a, a prolific acting career, I'm sure you don't want to be known for like a goofy, you know, five minute role, two minute role, but <laughs> you could do worse. Right. Yeah. Um, I like said, if you're going to be known, um, but yeah, amazing. Like the, the little bit, I mean, this is, um, the whole thing is what two and a half minutes, something like that. And then, but she's, and then really the memorable bit is that it's not even her. It's the animated part for those yeah. couple seconds, but, um, another small bit that becomes, uh, becomes very memorable. We're sure rest in peace. Alice Nunn. Yeah. Yeah. RIP passed in in 1988, so unfortunately not long after. Um, yeah, wow. Not long after this. Was this was her last? This wasn't her last acting role, was it? No, she's got a couple other things. Well, she had yeah stuff coming out until 88, like you know an episode of Murder She Wrote. Hmm. She was in Who's That Girl with Madonna. Oh, I don't remember that? Um, <laughs> I don't remember her, but what an awful movie that was. <laughs> Who's that girl? Yeah, yeah. She's an episode of Riptide, a um, bunch of other series that I'm sure no one remembers. Simon and Simon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so she, yeah, she did did continue working and did a few other things after this, but um, yeah, this was towards the end. Um, but yeah, yeah. So uh, shout out to uh, to the great Alice Nunn. We certainly uh, we certainly remember you for sure. Um, so then, uh, yeah. So Large Marge drops uh, drops PW off or. <laughs> He kind of he kind of um, gets very uncomfortable after the end of that story and says, oh, "You can you know you can just let me out here," which just happens to be um, right by a nice little diner. Um, and he tells him, "Large Marge sent me," um, which of course gets a gets a react reaction from all the diners. They show him the mm-hmm. um, the that you know in memoriam plaque um, showing that Large Marge is dead and just like. Uh, and we see the picture in case like, you know, so there's no confusion. It isn't like someone's just using the large Marge name mm-hmm. to try to scare, you know, scare PW. It's like, no, that was, you know, we see For the sure. picture. Like, no. And the, uh, this, this was one of those moments where when, when the, the, the patron in the diner starts to tell the story again, mm-hmm. I was again, half expecting that as a, as seven year old Doug, half expecting that the horror scene to come back up again. I'm like, Oh my God, now this guy's going to transform and scare the crap out of me. <laughs> Because like you know, it's Danny Elfman hits those hits those ominous notes. You know what I mean mm-hmm. on his synthesizer as the guy starts to tell it again, which uh, kind of builds up the the fright again. But that guy, I don't know if you recognized him. 
played a very small role in another Tim Burton classic, Beetlejuice. Do you remember um, uh, when the husband and wife are are uh, walking through the uh, the hallway in the underworld in Beetlejuice, and there's a janitor there? Oh yeah, and right. Like, that's that's the Lost Souls room. You know, that's the uh, that's this guy. Oh wow. Yeah, I didn't yeah, I didn't pick it up, but then you started saying I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's like um yeah, cuz they kind of peek in through one of the door and they're like that's like was it like death for the dead. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Yeah, um, like, like they peek in, they see there's like a room of what is it? Like the room of lost souls or lost something. Lost souls. Yeah, that's yeah, the, the lost souls room. <laughs> ghosts that have been exercised. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh that's the guy. Know. Well, there's I, I mean there's two um Two other credits here uh, as trucker and man in diner. Sammy, mm-hmm. oh, Simmy Bo, I think that's the guy's name. Yeah. So, th- yeah, this is Simmy Bo, is the guy who's in Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. There he is. Cause I, I think he was, yeah, he was in Rocky. <laughs> this, this is why I remember him because he, in our coverage of Rocky, our first Rocky, he was the corner man in the, uh, in the first uh, fight against Spider Rico. So I remember, I remember coming across this when I was doing research for Rocky all those years ago. Oh yeah, Cl- Club Corner Man and Rocky. That's funny. Yeah, everything's yeah. connected. Look at that, huh? Funny. He only has is that four or no? His known four credits. Yeah, only four credits there. But yeah, Simi Bo. Simi Bo. That's funny. Yeah, there's a couple other like uncredited. Uh, a couple other accredited actors in uh, from from the diner. I don't think in it, I don't yeah. know if anyone um, super memorable, but that's funny that I, I didn't pick up that this is a guy from Rocky and mm-hmm. and Beetlejuice. Yeah, here you go. That's here we go. We also see on the um, on that plaque to Large Marge, we see so it was um, the 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 fiery wreck uh, was on January eleventh, nineteen seventy four. Um, mm-hmm. And so that places us. So now it must be January eleventh, nineteen seventy five, being that uh, it's now it's now ten years later. Um, well, it so, then no, it, yeah. If it was seventy four, then we're in eighty four. Ten eighty four. Right? What did I say? You said seventy five. Seventy five. Sorry, no. Yeah, maybe <laughs> math, one year. <laughs> it's math one year is on. hard. Yeah, no, it's yeah, ten years. Um, so it's a, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so eighty four. So it's January eleventh, nineteen eighty four. Um, ten years after. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Be sure and tell them large Mart sent you. And when they uh they kind of fade out on on her plaque, you hear her laugh, the uh the ghostly. <laughs> you know, she's born on what does that say? Born on December fifth, so we're coming up on her birthday. December fifth, nineteen fifty seven. Fifty seven. Oh no, I'm sorry, thirty seven. Thirty seven. Can I, I? I don't know. I need my glasses. Yeah. Yeah. Nineteen thirty seven. So she would have been. 85, 86, right? I need a calculator. Man, you said math is hard, man. You're really asking a lot. Let's see, 2023. 96. 86. Nope, nope, 86. Yeah, she's going to be 86 coming up next week. So happy birthday. Sean, cut this part out. I was trying to do this quick math because we just sound ridiculous. No, it's all staying in. Yeah. So uh, a little bit about um, about the the restaurant. So where this is seen. So this was filmed at the the Wheel Inn restaurant, which is in Cabazon, California. It's kind of um, it's on the way to Palm Springs. So this Mm -hmm. is um, 
It's where, where's my notes? So it's, it's about like 15 truck stop kind of, kind of place. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of a stop. It's, uh, it's 15 miles to Palm Springs, about 40 miles east of river Riverside and just kind of, yeah, it was a, 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 yeah, kind of a truck stop on the road between the two. Um, so the restaurant came first and then the dinosaurs that we'll see later, those were built in, uh, well started construction in 1964 um, and these were as a way of, of attracting more business to uh, to the restaurant, to the Wheel Inn. Like a um, tourist attraction. Yeah, yeah. Which, unfortunately, the um, the restaurant closed. The Wheel Inn closed in 2013 just due to economics. Just business wasn't good enough. But the dinosaurs are still there. So now that's just oh. a separate attraction. You can go and there's... Um, there's I think there's more. They, I think they've built it up. There's more than the two that we see here we see what um like a tyrannosaurus rex and a brontosaurus um or i don't know maybe they they've changed i don't know if the brontosaurus is even a dinosaur anymore <laughs> but uh yeah can you can you still go inside them because i don't know yeah i don't know if that's if that's still a thing um we can probably check their website um so yeah so the restaurant is gone but the uh the dinosaurs are still there so you can go visit and they have them uh um Let's see. They've got um, they've got 28. Um, well, they've, so they've got a new expansion that they recently added 28 new life size dinosaurs that are beautifully oh, wow. colored during the day and glowing at night. Oh, that's um, nice. Let's, you can, that's probably something to see. Yeah. Um, so not yeah, not too far. If you're in like the L.A. area, it's not too far out of town. Probably mm. worth. Uh, yeah. Worth checking out. Um, I don't see anything about actually going inside, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. They probably like the Statue of Liberty close that off to the uh, to the public. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So it's funny. So yeah, these were uh, you know originally you know originally set up as sort of a tourist attraction to bring in business to uh, um, to the restaurant, and they've ended up they've outlived the restaurant they were um, they were built to support. Uh, but yeah, they're still there. You can um, you, you, you can, can definitely tell that there's yeah. not twenty eight of them you know, in the movie. So to, to, to add 28, it's probably, it's probably quite the spectacle. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a much bigger attraction now than it was then. Um, and I don't even think they're, they're colored. If you look, um, you kind of, you can go to the, um, the Cabazon dinosaurs. It's actually uh, cabazondinosaurs.com is their website. You kind of see them all decorated. And mm-hmm. I've seen some pictures online um, of, you know, people that have visited recently and kind of post pictures of saying, Hey, I was there, you know, the dinosaur scene from, from Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and you can kind of see them painted and, and decorated. Mm-hmm. At this time at filming, they're just kind of dinosaur colored. Um, you know, they're just kind of like brown and gray. Uh, actually, it was Tim Burton's idea to um, to light them up. And it's a little oh. bit of a, a Christmas. I, I hadn't quite made the connection until this time around. Um, obviously, kind mm-hmm. of covering this movie as a holiday special, but they're lit in um, one is one is green and one is red. So we've got kind of Christmas colors there. So there's interesting some some connection to uh, to Christmas and the holidays there. So um, is that enough to make it a Christmas movie? <laughs> <laughs> um, so on that on that subject, we we'll kind of pull away from the movie a little bit. So this is as I've discussed in in a previous episode. So this is not uh, an explicitly Christmas movie or holiday movie. It doesn't deal with Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or anything. Um, mm-hmm. And really outside of, uh, you know, kind of the, the red and green dinosaurs here, so there's no connection at all. But I say this this could be a holiday movie in that it um, um, 
you know, it's family friendly. It's, you know, entertaining for old. It's, it's appropriate for children. Kids will like it. Um, it's got, we, we were talking about how all the, the, all these different scenes, you know, that just kind of pop out of nowhere. So you can kind of just, um, you know, if it's on, you can kind of come in no matter where it is in the film. You know, it's right. not something that you have to follow and watch from the beginning. You can just kind of pop in for a few scenes or, you know, have it on in the background while you're wrapping presents. Um, yeah. You kind of so, tap uh, into like the, the childlike joy of, of the, the atmosphere of the film, you know? Yeah. 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 The, the, the yeah, childlike wonder of, of the holidays mm-hmm. can certainly help get you in that mood. So, um, yeah, yeah. so being that this is sort of a non-traditional holiday film, we've been talking mm-hmm. about sort of, um, I guess like non-tradition traditions or, or holiday traditions you might have that aren't directly, um, you know, aren't necessarily direct directly connected to a holiday on their own, but in your mind, mm-hmm. in your family, your traditions, they've become connected. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Something in my family is a bathrobe. Um, so I mm-hmm. generally don't wear a bathrobe like 364 days of the year, but then um I'm pretty sure, I don't know where I got it at some point. It must've been a gift from my wife's family. Um, Mm -hmm. They celebrate Christmas and I think I got a bathrobe or we got bathrobes as gifts one year. And that just be kind of became the, the Christmas tradition when the family's together, rather getting dressed because we're not going to go out. We're just hanging around the house, Um, Mm -hmm. just kind of lounge in our pajamas and our robes and just wear our robes around (laughs) the house that day. Um, Which is, you know, again, it's, you know, they're, and they're not even like, Christmassy robes. They're not like red and green with Santas and reindeers or anything, just like regular right. old bathrobes. But, uh, you know, that's, that's a neat. day to, to just lounge around the house wearing our robes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it sounds like, so, a, like a comfy tradition. Yeah. Yeah. Doug, do you have anything like that? Any sort of, um, you know, holiday traditions that, uh, you know, aren't, aren't explicitly tied to a holiday, but they've become traditions in your family. Um, well, there's one, uh, uh, one specifically that, that I've been, following me and my brother and my my two um cousins mm-hmm. uh have been following since we were kids and it always happens around christmas and we do kind of center it around like uh watching christmas movies but at this point in our lives um it became just a, a reason for us to get together for one night a year and you know because we're all we're all kind of spread out now all throughout new jersey my brother moved up to massachusetts so um it's it, it's always a sleepover. Um, it's always it, it was like when we, like I said when we were kids, we used to watch all the great Christmas cartoons, specials, and mm-hmm. movies that we loved as yeah. kids. But now it's like I said, it's once a year that we all get together. We kind of catch up. Um, it's me, and my brother, and my two cousins. Now we all have kids, so our our kids have kind of um, joined the fray. So now it's, it's chaos. You know, we, we, the guys, the guys we sit around, we have, you know, we have some drinks, we, we chit chat, we put on Christmas movies, but we're never really into them. We're not watching them. It's just like a background thing while the the kids are running around playing and, you know, it's just, it's a nice once a year get together. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've been doing that our whole lives pretty much. Oh, that's good. That sounds nice. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nowadays, like I'm my my kids, my boys are are 13 and 11, and now I have a newborn baby daughter. She's three months old, and um, right now our traditions are kind of like building traditions. You know what I mean? Like now we love Christmas villages, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know one of our traditions is to like pick a Christmas village, go visit, look at the lights, stop into all the shops along the way. Did you ever hear of uh, Smithville, New Jersey, Sean? It's down by Atlantic no. City. 
it's a it's like a historic village that they um actually were, were going there today um as part of our uh or 2023 Christmas tradition. But last year, uh, actually the last couple of years, we went to uh, Peddler's Village in um, mm-hmm. New Hope, Pennsylvania. Okay. They have the same yeah. kind of, it's like a historic village that they they decorate the whole thing with lights and everything. They have a ton of shops that you just stop in and you don't necessarily buy stuff, but it's just nice to walk around and soak in the, you know, the, the holiday feel. And now that, you know, we have a baby daughter, my especially my 13 year old, he's, um, he's big on creating traditions now for his little sister. So he's, you know, he's always like researching different holiday villages throughout New Jersey and like that, the surrounding uh, states and stuff that we can do in the future. Yeah. That's where we're at these days. And I'm glad that my, my, my kids are, are, you know, soaking up all the the holiday fun that I've always had, you know, the same way about Christmas that way that I always have. Yeah. That's always great when you can, uh, you know, pass those things on. Mm-hmm. rediscover and you know see them through the the child's eyes yes exactly exactly yeah. yeah cool cool very cool um so uh let's, let's we get back to uh to the wheel in peewee has has finished up uh finished up his meal his uh you know we, we, we're gonna hear he has a, a tuna platter and a milkshake um goes to pay and can't find his wallet so that means he's got a full day. So if I remember correctly, so he left this back at um, at Madame Ruby's, like back at the psychic that that sent him to the Alamo, which I'm guessing was the night before. So I mean that was at night. This was at night. I don't think we see any nights in between. So I'm guessing he's you know he spent a day on the road. Um, he's riding with Mickey for a bit, and then he gets lost. Mm-hmm. You know he gets dropped off, and then he gets picked up by Large Marge, and he sits and he you know has this meal. He lost but his like, wallet, but he didn't forget to bring his bag of tricks because he had the yeah. giant thumb. He had the headlight glasses. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wondering, yeah, he's got like, yeah, he's got like his bindle. He's got like the, um, you know, the stuff <laughs> yeah, tied up on a stick that he's right. carrying. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. So, yeah, he's got all his gear. But uh, so like he never offered like to give like some gas money or anything to to Mickey. Mickey you know. Right. <laughs> But yeah, so he finally realizes that he he's left without his wallet, and then uh, mm-hmm. and like this is a pretty common trope. I don't know if this ever happens in real life, where uh, if you can't pay for something, can't pay for your meal at a restaurant, they make you wash dishes. Yeah, uh, yeah, it is a trope, just like the bindle is a a hobo's yeah. trope. <laughs> but the yellow hobo thing, and I see like this kitchen is. Well, I don't want to say messy. I guess I don't. I haven't been in a lot of diner kitchens. I don't know, like, you know how it compares, but I will say there's a lot of dishes left over. Like mm-hmm. I don't know how long he's been washing, um, but there's a lot <laughs> left to do. I don't know if they, you know, <laughs> yeah, the big saucepans and like the foreground that are just yeah. caked with with uh, old sauce and yeah, definitely is uh, a crowded kitchen. Yeah, yeah. I think Simone's letting him off a little bit easy. I would leave him in there. Yeah, I would. I mean, say. how how many hours? Like, how long do you think? He would like or should like how many hours of dishwashing do you think would it take to pay off, you know, a, a tuna platter and a milkshake? Tuna platter and a milkshake. Let's I don't know. What's what was a uh, minimum wage yeah. back then? Maybe three bucks an hour. What do you think? A tuna platter and a milkshake, maybe ten, eleven dollars, three hours yeah, of pro- work. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, probably about yeah, two to three hours would cover it. Mm-hmm. Um now is he just now is he taking now is, is Pee-wee taking a job away from whoever would normally be washing dishes? You know, did the uh well I don't know. Well, I guess we don't see anyone else. Like, so is, is Simone in charge? Like is Simone, I guess 
you know, is she the manager? Is she authorized to like, to, you know, is she, is she the one that said, okay, now you've got to wash dishes and now she's authorized right, to right. say when he's done enough at the end? I guess yeah, we assume it's, so. It's not, she's, yeah, I guess so. He's in charge. Yeah, she um, she employs him to uh to do the uh, the dirty work. Yeah. I mean, if he is taking that job away from somebody else, like they're not doing a very good job themselves to let the <laughs> dishes pile up like this. Yeah. You know, you got you got constant orders coming in, you know, food mm-hmm. going out. You need you need those dishes washed and, and ready to go for the next stack of orders, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they get, you know, this they look like a pretty busy truck stop. I mean, there's a you know, few <laughs> other customers in there besides PW. So uh yeah, you gotta get on this. Um, and I imagine I imagine Pee Wee's probably not like the fastest worker, but I imagine he's thorough. I imagine like those dishes he washed, those are probably the cleanest dishes this diner's seen in a while. Mm, yeah, I would say so. Uh, the, you know what what he's gotten to, he's done very well, even if he hasn't been he able does to. It with a, he's, he does it. He does it with a smile on his face too. The guy, you know, he's like a whistle while you work kind of guy. You know. Yeah, definitely he's happy to be it. His uh, though, um, and you know, we have a mutual friend. Pete Mummert, who uh, has a mild anxiety disorder, mm-hmm. so I can imagine that the um, the 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 wet suit sleeves, oh yeah, would drive him bananas. <laughs> which could because it's driving me crazy. Like that's if my sleeves get wet, oh. I have to change my shirt because yeah. that's one of the oh. most uncomfortable feelings. That's awful. Yeah, if I'm wearing like a hoodie or sweatshirt or something, and I go to wash my mm-hmm. hands, or they, I have to push the sleeves up because yeah, yes. like you said, if if those get wet, um, yeah, he is like Pee Wee isn't wearing even like like you know rubber gloves or anything <laughs> i know it's gonna get dishpan hands <laughs> he's yeah he's gonna get the dishpan hands but i guess this is like yeah i guess like just pw is like used to this because we saw when he goes after um when he goes after francis in his you know his tub slash bath like mm. he doesn't even like he doesn't oh, take man. his jacket off or anything he like just jumps, jumps right, right in. into the pool <laughs> yeah. gee um, whiz and likewise here yeah and then there's like you could see the foam is like yeah. Um, it's like up to his elbows like. yeah and he wipes the soap off like the it's still oh. the the dark you know the dark yeah. gray that it's still that wet. separates yeah it shows you where it's wet <laughs> right up to his elbows oh i didn't even think of that now this scene's gonna bug me oh yeah, yeah. the wet sleeves <laughs> just triggered you um all right yeah we should talk a little bit mm-hmm. um about the actress playing uh simone here so this is mm-hmm. Diane Salinger, and she's done done a bunch of other things as an actor. But in particular, folks might recognize her particularly side by side with Paul Rubens here from mm-hmm. uh, Batman Returns, where um, they played the Penguin's parents in the beginning. She was, uh, you know, the Penguin's mother, mm-hmm. and he was Penguin's father. I don't think they actually get named. No, no. in the in Mr. the credits Mrs. for that Cobblepot, maybe. Yeah, they would have been. Uh, yeah, the the Cobblepots. I don't know their mm-hmm. first names, Mr. and Mrs. Cobblepot there, but uh, yeah, there they are. They get, you know, uh, a little uh, reunion there um, yeah, that, between that Diane would, and Paul. That's you bring up Batman Returns, and that's one of those, like, uh, anytime I saw Paul Rubens in, in anything that wasn't Pee Wee related, I was like mm-hmm. the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's points yeah. at the screen, you know, <laughs> the screen. like this, Mystery Men. Um, yeah, there's, there, there's a handful of uh, other ones. I've seen them through, throughout the years. It's always yeah. like a kind of shocking to see him in a non peewee role. Yeah, he he did. He became like he so uh, you know encompasses this character, mm-hmm. and then you know including doing things kind of outside of of TV and movies, like going on like talk shows, going on David Letterman in mm-hmm. character, you know, as peewee. Uh, that yeah becomes a little bit of uh, 
it can be a surprise when you see him out, out of that character. Do you have yeah. a favorite? Uh, do you have like a favorite non Pee Wee performance from uh, from Paul? It's Rubens? definitely Mystery Men. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's probably a lot of people's answer, but I mean, I think that's his his most um, well known role outside of Pee Wee, right? Probably, yeah. I mean, that's that's my favorite. That's the one I, I I go back to, and I think that's that's probably the most well known. That and then uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, mm. He's one of the vampires in mm-hmm. the in the film, not the TV yeah. show. That comes back to, yeah. I right. again, yeah, kind of regret. I think you know he's got a handful of of kind of dramatic non peewee roles. I, I wouldn't mind of seeing more. He did a lot of voice work later on. If you take a look at IMDb, you see. Um, you know, like Bob's Burgers, Tom and Jerry. He did a, he's got some. Uh, oh, interesting. Even, well, he did, you know, he did some, uh, some stuff in, in the DC universe, some animated DC stuff, and then some, uh, uh, some video games, some DC video games um, he does voices for. But yeah, yeah. Always, yeah. I always like seeing, uh, you know, seeing Paul as Pee Wee or, or something else. I think the uh, most shocking <laughs> way I've seen Pee Wee is his mugshot yeah <laughs> long hair the the beard and everything it didn't look yeah. like obviously didn't look like the same person you, you kind of thought peewee was ageless like a you know a, a perpetual child mm-hmm. you just get caught caught in a jerk off theater as you know as a mugshot he's got like the long shaggy hair and a yeah yeah I think shaggy that's... beard looked like a homeless guy <laughs> yeah i think that's what stood out to me the most as well like you know see, seeing that mugshot or, or the times you're kind of seeing him out of character like when the hair's different like that kind of just changes like yeah in addition to just being oh an actual human that ages versus yeah the perpetually boyish peewee but uh yeah the hair definitely stood out to me looks like um, he should be carrying that bindle for real <laughs> yeah yeah um i wonder if that was like on purpose like just to be able to go out and kind of Try to lead somewhat of a normal life. Figure the less, the less he looks like Pee Wee, the more he can probably get by with, um, right, going out and being a you know trying to be a normal person. So after washing dishes, Pee Wee's about to uh, you know get back on that highway, and Simone asks if, um, will you go watch the sunrise with me? Um, so this is I I, I assume this is I'm, I'm trying to time it out. I assume this is the end of the second night. Um, since Pee Wee lost his bike and they, yeah, they climb up into uh, the mouth of one of the dinosaurs. I guess it's the, the Tyrannosaurus um, and they watch the sunrise through, uh, through the teeth. This is kind of a nice scene, a little bit of romantic. Uh, Danny Elfman talks about this in uh, his commentary track. He talks about, this is his, um, his first romantic cue, his kind of first romantic uh, quiet scene to, uh, to score. Um, he also uh, again calls out Nina Rota as uh as inspiration and Simone's talking about her, you know, her dream to, you know, visit Paris and visit France, but uh, her boyfriend, Andy flunked French in high school and now thinks, yeah, you know, everything French is just uh, trying to make him uh, look stupid. Uh, Yeah. um, Yeah. And you know, she, she doesn't, um, she doesn't really give a description of Andy except mm -hmm. like, you know, Simone is kind of like a a small fragile woman. And when you see Andy, (laughs) Which this this is this is really the reason why I requested this. It just so happened to to coincide with the large march stuff, which I'm sure was a very widely requested chunk mm-hmm. in this yeah, movie. Yeah. But I really wanted it for the Andy scene, and I'll tell you why when uh, when we get to yeah. uh, to the chase. Okay, yeah. So we see as 
um, as Simone and PW are, are walking over to the dinosaur, we see there's a large man um, observing them, um, kind of watching from afar. And we don't, you know, we, we don't hear anything about, see more about him until, uh, yeah, uh, Simone mentions Andy. And it turns out, um, uh, you know, Andy will be the boyfriend. Uh, but before we go that, just a little bit on more on the scene of them talking. I feel like this is really important because it helps us connect with Pee Wee. And I realize we're, we're almost, um, you know, we'll be 50 minutes into, uh, you know, into the film. Um, so more than halfway through by the time we end this chunk. But up to this point, we've just seen, you know, Pee Wee's kind of out for Pee Wee um, and really kind of self-centered and, and selfish in a way that, that children are like, they don't, you know, I think it takes a while for some people to develop empathy mm-hmm. and realize like, oh you know all these people around me they have feelings and you know they're they have a life just like i do and they have thoughts right. and feelings and, and so forth and you know um you know peewee is well liked um you know we, we see the way his you know the community and his friends react like he has friends but he hasn't shown he hasn't really been a good friend to them like it's all about his bike and oh can you help me find it and what can you do for me like that this scene like he you know he really listens to simone you know, and I think has you know has some good advice for her about, um, you know, big about everyone's big butt. You know, just kind of <laughs> don't, <laughs> uh, which is another great line. But uh, you know, kind of don't don't get hung up on on all the excuses not to do the thing you want to do. Just to you know, go go follow your dreams. And so I, I feel like this is you know this is like a key scene again. You know, this Pee Wee can be a bit of a jerk if you know if you don't like him. He, He's a jerk, you know, if he's your friend, mm-hmm. he's great. If he's not, then he's awful. So like, you really have to like Pee Wee for the film to work. You know, this isn't like, you know, this isn't like Scarface or The Godfather where you can say, um, you know, I enjoyed the film, but oh, that lead character, like he's really yeah, a bad guy. Like an anti-hero. Yeah. I don't think it works with Pee Wee as an anti-hero. Like you really got to like Pee Wee. Mm-hmm. And like this scene really shows him being likable. Like he is a good guy. There's a reason that, all you know those people back home the reason they put up with his selfishness and his childishness you know they they put up with him because you know he really does have a good heart and um you know he he can be there for other people it isn't all about himself right 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 yeah um, yeah so i really like this so then it wraps up the uh, the sun has risen and uh simone and pw are 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 leaving the dinosaur and they're going to exit and then uh <laughs> Uh, we find out this big gentleman is the uh, the, the aforementioned boyfriend Andy. Um, Andy, yes, yeah. Now, Andy, now, as played by uh, by Big John Harris. Now, I I had to look up two different um, areas because, like on IMDb, it has his height build as seven foot eight. They so said that that can't be. That can't be yeah. Correct. So I, I did a little uh, internet searching and yeah, he, my man is seven and a half feet tall. Wow. Or was, was seven and a half feet tall. He does, he does not look that big. Um, I guess in a wide shot, it, it's kind of tough to tell, but mm-hmm. that is a large man. Uh, so John Harris was also a professional wrestler. And uh, so, yeah, what I saw on Wikipedia, they say build as seven foot seven, 475 pounds, mm-hmm. which which, you know, they're not saying he was, they're saying that's how he was billed as a wrestler. And we know, you know, in professional wrestling, they can exaggerate. We don't know how accurate that is, but it sounds mm-hmm. like he was definitely big. If yeah. not those exact exact numbers, uh, certainly close enough to it. Uh, Amen. Yeah. yeah, Silo Sam, uh, 
Oh, actually, I had a couple. Silo, Sam, Trapper, John, Big John, Harris, and Little John. One of those, uh, you know, one of those ironic nicknames. Right. One of those ironic nicknames. We got a big guy and call him tiny. Yeah, yeah John. exactly. Um, so, yeah, only uh, only has a couple. Yeah, not not a lot of acting roles um, outside of, you know, outside of the, the professional wrestling that he was known as. Yeah. Big lumberjack looking fella. Yeah. So go, another thing from the, the commentary and I'm not sure, like, so more more Paul. Uh, Paul Rubens than Tim Burton, but they kind of kid around. And I don't know how much, you know, how much is serious and how much is real. One of the things Paul said is, well, Tim says, so they wanted the tallest guy they could find to play Andy. Um, Paul said they tried to get Andre the giant and then, <laughs> and then they both laugh. So I'm like, is, is, I'm not sure if that's a joke or if that's <laughs> like, did they really try to get Andre to the giant or like, are they kidding? Um, just because that's the, you know, if they wanted the tallest guy, like that's generally the tallest guy. Yeah. Now, he's but, the go-to uh, that, yeah, that you could think of. Yeah. Go, go to giant um, as, right. you know, for example, like the, you know, the princess bride, which I think came out around the, the same time as this. Mm. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, so they mentioned for, for alternate casting, uh, the, you know, whether they're serious or not, they mentioned trying to get, uh, trying to get Andre the giant, but uh, they did get a, another large actor who I'm guessing is about the same size. I don't think, um, if he's really, you know, seven seven or seven eight, yeah, he's that's about as big as Andre was, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, Andre the Giant was definitely in the seven sevens. I don't know exactly yeah. his measurements, but yeah, and yeah. It, it, I mean, it could have worked with Andre the Giant because it's a non-speaking role, so you wouldn't have mm-hmm. to worry about him delivering lines, right. which I know he, he had trouble with in uh, Princess Bride. Right. Yeah. So Wikipedia has Andre at seven four. Um, but 520 pounds. So, mm. uh, so actually not as tall, but, uh, mm. but bigger around like a bigger Girthier. weight. I, I don't know if that, you know, at that point, seven, four, seven, six, seven, seven, like yeah. it's just tall. Like, yeah. Yeah. You're talking I don't about know how a, much a of a monster of, of a man. Yeah. But, but this, uh, this, um, okay. So the reason why I wanted this chunk is, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's one word. All right. Mm-hmm. It's Kiwi's delivery of the name yeah. Andy. Because he's talking to Simone. Simone's telling telling this tale, you know, about Andy, and he and no yeah. doubt that Pee Wee pictured some some uh, foofy like you know uh, guy in high school yeah. that failed French or whatever. He and when Simone turns around and sees Andy, she goes Andy, and Pee Wee sees this gigantic man in front of him. It's one one of the best. It's one of the best line deliveries in this movie for sure yeah. but one of my favorite line deliveries in all the comedies i've ever seen because he just goes Andy! because he sees this <laughs> giant standing in front of him definitely not what he pictured in his mind and you know just just his freak out and and his delivery of the name andy would just i've always found that funny yeah <laughs> interesting all right that's good yeah because so when, when you mentioned like you wanted this chunk for for andy i wondered if there was like uh a wrestling connection if you recognized him as a wrestler but uh <laughs> no. No, it was that line delivery just the and line it's great delivery. It's, yeah that little bit like in, in the kind of you know comedy comes in threes that um so simone says andy and then peewee's got the andy he's got yeah. his great peewee delivery and then andy just yelling is is the third because obviously it's he a need to yell his own name <laughs> yeah it's a like as if peewee was expecting you know like a a, a different andy you know yeah, yeah. it's i don't know Difficult to explain because I'm not that eloquent when I speak. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish I could explain it better, but 
it's definitely a great uh great line delivery yeah you can definitely see the surprise that um this was not <laughs> not what not what what pw not what Wee had pictured um yeah. when uh yeah, when someone was talking about Andy, and he's yeah, he's ripped off like a, a ceramic or a um, oh the bone, like maybe a paper mache, a large dinosaur bone <laughs> that he's using to swing it at PW as, as he runs away. And there's this there's this great shot. So actually, so you're looking through like towards almost to the very end of this segment, but there's a shot um, when they show you know Pee Wee's running away, he's being chased by Andy. We're looking through the legs of the brontosaur. Like we're looking underneath one dinosaur and then we see Simone standing in front of the other with like Pee Wee running around, like trying to hide, um, like mm-hmm. hide behind the legs. Yeah, <laughs> And then yeah, Andy yeah. pops up swinging the, swinging the giant bone. It's almost like a, it's almost like something out of the Flintstones. Um, just that he's got like a, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. a giant dinosaur bone as a, as a weapon. <laughs> I tell you the, the one part where uh, Pee Wee looks one way and then turns around and Andy swings that bone and Pee Wee just ducks Mm-hmm. To, to you know for andy to swing it over his head if peewee doesn't duck i mean you know and in, in the acting part of this if paul rubens doesn't duck he's gonna get smashed in the face with that yeah. <laughs> um yeah and i mean later we see um in frustration andy will kind of just like break the bone we see it's like not solid but still like uh, or i guess no actually it does look like it is solid yeah yeah and i imagine like when you're that big the, the proportional strength just because all your muscles are bigger like yeah mm-hmm. that that probably would have done some damage if they don't time that stunt just right <laughs> yeah right um, right for maybe, sure maybe uh this this turns out to be a, a very short film <laughs> uh, i think and <laughs> scene uh, yeah yeah but, uh, uh, but so, as Wee runs for the train you got andy chasing him and he just like kind of stumbles and falls on his face yeah yeah which kind of makes sense yeah. like Wee is just kind of well and he does um you know, all that bike riding, he's probably very fit, you know, cardio wise. Like we see, like, um, you know, we see when he w- woke up, like uh, what, what, what PW does for strength training with those mm-hmm. that look like a three pound weight, like, yeah, um, yeah. you know, the, the, the upper body classes. strength isn't there, but this is a guy who never skips leg day. Um, right. Yeah. Biking all over the place. So he, uh, yeah, he easily outruns Andy who, um, yeah, falls to the ground and ends up breaking the bone in frustration as, uh, as, uh, fortunately, uh, you know, PW is ever to jump into a passing train and make his getaway and live to live to run another day um, as uh, the, uh, the the search continues. And so uh, and that'll kind of that bring us brings us to the end of uh, of this 10 minute segment. Yes, indeed. Uh, kind of covers up, brings us to uh, the, the 50 minute mark in our in our great adventure of Wee. So um, as we wrap up anything, Doug, anything else you wanted to add either about you know, about this segment, about, you know, about Andy, about diners, um, or about any, you know, any other aspect of, uh, of the film, anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, you know, no, I mean, a while back, um, when I was exploring other minute by minute projects, I had actually talked to George, uh, George Hendricks about, um, doing this as a minute by minute, mm-hmm. you know, partnership. Um, but you know, Rocky was just, I was too deep in that and then life happens, you know, so it didn't really, um, pan out. But I'm glad that you're covering it. I'm glad somebody's covering it. And I'm glad that, I mean, it's probably, you could certainly do a minute by minute. There's, Absolutely. It's definitely a, a deep enough well where you can go minute by minute with this. But this this is, I mean, again, with all like the the little vignettes that that make up the whole story and all, you know, the characters 
you know, in the end, we're going to see it too. Like all the, 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 it's character driven, you know, all mm-hmm. these wacky characters that he meets along the way, they all come together at the end, you know, to go see the, the peewee film, Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's like for, for like a kid's movie, it's, it's a kid's movie geared towards adults. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's just very well done by Tim Burton. And as one of his early projects, he really knocked it out of the park. You know, yeah, and I, yeah. I loved it as a kid, and and it's it's you know it's as much for adults as it is for kids. You know, it's kind of marketed as a kids movie, and Pee Wee's a kid's character, but it's you know it's it's definitely geared towards adults. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's I think you that's a good way to phrase it. Yeah. It's it's a kids movie for adults, and certainly we see you know there's a lot of um, a lot of kids movies where they they kind of they you know they put in jokes that they know you know that are for the adults or they put in stuff that you know for mm-hmm. the grown-ups that they know the kids won't get but then it that then you know that's like a kids movie with some adult humor sprinkled in but i think like yeah. this whole thing it's really Maybe yeah it's like the it's opposite a, like it's an adult movie um that kids can enjoy yeah you know, maybe yeah. something like that Yes, yeah, really is a, a kids movie for for adults, and it is a yeah. lot of fun. And yeah, I had the same thought. Yeah, when I I, I rewatched it, um, yeah, recently following uh, Paul Rubin's passing, just to kind of revisit, and then said, yeah, how has someone not covered this minute by minute? Which I would have done if I had more time and more energy. Yeah. That's what it comes down to time. Yeah, yeah, but but it's the like the materials there, as you said, like the stuff in in the film, just what they what they did for every scene. And I wonder if it's a little bit of, you know, they kind of learned uh, kind of like the, the beginning, the beginner's enthusiasm, you know, this was mm-hmm. the first, um, uh, the, you know, the first full length feature that Tim Burton directed um, kind of Paul's first, you know, leading role in a feature film, Danny Elfman's first time, uh, you know, scoring a major motion picture like this. Um, and they put so much into it. I wonder if, if mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of Tim Burton learned, um, you, you don't have to work this hard yeah, uh, yeah. and we we appreciate the effort but you can um you know you can go back to the same location you can go back to the same characters you don't have to keep cycling <laughs> right like this um you know it's, to put when, extra when you work have, yeah. when you have like a, a team that this is like a very early project for everybody involved mm-hmm. you would expect there to be some growing pains but really yeah. like this is it's a well put together movie from the score to the acting to the directing it's it's to the writing it's very well structured there aren't yeah. a lot of growing pains you know what i mean for for tim burton to like expound upon i i don't know maybe i'm just like naive looking at it and i yeah i agree and you would think like even you know even some really good uh directors you would think that you know the kind of the first work or their first film you could look at and go like okay here's you know there's room to grow there's room for improvement mm-hmm. This is really good, and 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 uh, Tim Burton had done some some shorts. Um, yeah. You know, this is not just his first directing, but kind of, but anything, um, you know, anything certainly feature length. This was his first work, and like, yeah, right out of the gate, um, there, you know, there's there's some things that don't feed into the plot that aren't you know aren't strictly necessary to get you know to get PW from A to B to C, and mm-hmm. sort of you know his hero's journey or his journey to get the bite back. But it's almost like it's almost like a musical um, mm-hmm. in that um, like those old Hollywood musical films where it's like they, they just do a song and the song has nothing to do with the plot. You know, it doesn't develop character. It doesn't move things along, but it's fun. And you like yeah, it because, yeah. you know, you get singing and dancing and and, and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, like, yeah, you know, things like, you know, the, the, the large Marge scene, 
they, you know, that don't fit into the overall plot. And you could like, you know, if you could cut that and the rest of the film still makes sense. Right. Um, yeah. and maybe the bit in the diner where they're like saying large March that you, you know, you'd have to cover, you know, if you, but you've cut that and the, you know, the, the scene that she's actually in, like cut that out and everything else works fine. Um, but it does, yeah. but you still enjoy it. It's still, it does add to, it adds to the enjoyment without necessarily adding to the plot or character development or anything like that. I know um, early on you guys covered the deleted scenes mm-hmm. and the ones that I think the ones that they cut were smart cuts because of like the, the pace of them. You know what I mean? When you guys went over them, I never actually saw them myself. The first time I, I was aware of them was when you, you guys covered them yeah. in Indianapolis. But yeah, I mean, the stuff that they left in doesn't slow down the pace of the film. Like the stuff that they cut out. Right. You know what I mean? It, it's weird because like it's it, the same way. They're, they're just vignettes. They're, they're non sequiturs. But um, I don't know. I guess like if it's slow and kind of dragged that they, they saw fit to cut it. Yeah. And one thing about those scenes is that, you know, we were trying to um, kind of figure out what, you know, what's the difference between the kind of the non sequiturs they left in versus the ones they cut out. They all kind of went on kind of long. And particularly at the end, the, the 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 stuff that they cut out during the chase around the Warner Brothers lot um, mm-hmm. after Pee Wee gets his bike back and he's being chased by the the guards. Yeah, all those scenes kind of go on um, a little bit long compared right. to the like two minutes in the truck with Large Marge and stuff like that. Um, that kind of serve like you know kind of connect the the different plot points. Um, even if they're not directly related, but they kind of, yeah, they, they kind of don't miss up the pacing to keep things moving along right, versus right. The, the, it seems like, um, you know, at least a couple of those scenes they cut out just kind of, they, they did go a little bit long and probably would have, uh, you know, messed up the pacing. Um, so really, uh, yeah, I think they, yeah, they made some good choices in terms of what to cut and, and what to keep. Yeah, um, there you have it. Yeah, there we have it. So there we have, uh, yeah, part five of uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. So thank you so much, uh, Doug. Thanks again for for joining us. Um, it's been really fun. And so of our listeners, if they don't already know, I'm sure many of them do, but um, for the newcomers, uh, you know, folks want to hear more from you um, and want to hear you talk about, uh, you know, different movies. Um, yeah, give us some plugs. What do you got? All right. Uh, my main show is Rocky Minute. It, it kind of after the pandemic and some, a couple of major uh, life events production really stalled on Rocky minute. Um, but I'm starting, I've been releasing again at a very slow pace. Uh, the feed I'm releasing them on is called last of the action heroes podcast. It's a, it's not a dedicated Rocky minute feed. Like th- it's a feed that, that features a bunch of films that are in a, uh, a, a network of me and a bunch of action hero podcasters um involved in like stallone there's a rambo and another rocky podcast on there arnold schwarzenegger there's a couple of guys that do a schwarzenegger podcast um bruce willis you know like the action heroes from the the uh the highlight the high time of action uh which is the you know the Mm -hmm. 80s and early 90s um but that's where you'll find rocky man it's called last of the action heroes podcast network and i'm also i co-host another uh show on that feed where we do uh, uh stallone films we do uh, one episode per film and we're kind of going through stallone's filmography not in any particular order but uh you know the good and the bad stallone has uh plenty of both so <laughs> yep. uh yeah uh, we're, we're, we're honest we dress him down when when he needs it um but yeah that's uh again last of the action heroes podcast network 
Yeah. So last of the Action Heroes Network, I encourage folks to check that out. The Rocky Minute is great. I was uh, fortunate enough. Uh, you were kind enough to to invite me on for a couple of guest spots uh, through Rocky and Rocky too. So uh, yeah, as I, I start up production, those, yeah. uh, as I you know continue production on Rocky Three, I would definitely like to have you back. Yeah, yeah. Let me know. I, I would love to come back for for Rocky Three. That's a good film. That um, that's re- a really interesting series, just because. And I guess this this happens with some other series as well. But just the way the way those films aged, and the way they I guess or the way they evolved through the series and you know if you jumped if you watched you know that kind of that first rocky and then you jump to like rocky four or five like you may not see the connection but when you go through you see okay there's actually a a progression that sort of makes sense um rocky two is a little bit different than rocky one and then three is a little more different and um but then they end up a snapshot of the 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 time where they were filmed as well Mm -hmm. you know yeah as you go from like the artsy 70s into the action-packed 80s you know Right, right. Yeah. So the kind of re- reflection of, of the period. Yeah. Yeah. Then that that man, that first Rocky is um is really good. Yeah, it's a really good none. film. Um yeah. I mean the rest of them are good in a in a different sort of way. Um, but that first one was special. So uh yeah, folks should, sure. should, should, should folks should should check that out. Um yeah, and, and check us out. Um we're here, we're at uh nextingpod.com on the social media. Um we're on um, we're on th- so we're on Instagram, we're on Threads, we're on Mastodon, and we are now on Blue Sky. If you're on the Blue Sky social network, you can uh, find us next scene pod there. Again, the, the Facebook, you know, subscribe wherever uh, wherever good podcasts are found, wherever you listen to this, just stay there and keep listening and we'll have our, our next scene. And so we will see you next time on The Next Scene.